My name is Ted Burns, and I'm Senior Director of Political Affairs and RADPAT for the American College of Radiology Association, and I want to welcome you to our Radvocacy podcast hosted by RADPAT. Our goal with the podcast is to give you a behind-the-scenes look into the various advocacy efforts of the college, our members, and insights from political influencers here in Washington, D.C. Hello, this is Ted Burns, and I'm honored today to have with us Kristen Flugey, a staff member on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And before we get started, I want to say a quick note about Kristen. She and I have gotten to work together for a while now, and I've always really respected the fact that uh, when we first got to know each other is when she first joined Congresswoman Kathleen Morse Rogers, and she reached out to me and said, hey, let's meet up at this place on the hill and let's get a coffee and just get to know each other and talk about, you know, what issues are important to you guys. And that is not common at all, at least towards me. Maybe other staffers on the hill do it to a lot of other people like me, but it's never really been done much to me. And I've always thought that was super cool. She did that, that she took the time to reach out. And ever since we've had a really good working relationship, respect her a ton for all that she's done. And she's accomplished. It's been really cool to watch her career grow. So, Kristen, thanks for joining us today and look forward to uh, talking to you about how things work on the Hill or maybe how they don't work on the Hill. Thank you, Ted. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, Kristen, tell us a little bit about yourself. I always like to kind of get like a personal angle to our guests. So, you know, people obviously want to hear the content that we're going to have during the actual discussion of the podcast, but I think it always gives them a little bit more context when they know a little bit more about our guests on a personal level. So tell us where you're from, uh, where you went to school, and, and your background working on and around the Hill, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from New Jersey, the Ocean City area, um, so South Jersey, Eagles country. I've been in D.C. for a little over a decade now. I went to the Catholic University of America here in D.C., and I've never left. So after I graduated from college, I started working for Melvin Castagnetti. They're a boutique lobbying firm in downtown D.C. I was there for about three years, and then I made the transition over to the Hill. The Congresswoman, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, she's my first boss on the Hill, and I've been working for her for almost four years now started in her personal office in 2019, and then I transitioned over to the ENC health team under her leadership in January of this year. And just a couple of things. One, the personal office, that's kind of like our our DC jargon, if you will, that and always the boss, the boss. We always say the boss or your boss. But one thing that's interesting about your background, at least I find it to be pretty interesting, is it's pretty rare that folks come out of undergrad or out of school and then go into a lobbying shop. Typically, they go to the Hill first. Then after they kind of, you know, create a network and maybe a subject matter expertise, then they'll go to a lobby shop. But it sounds like you almost kind of did it the reverse way, which is interesting in a way because it gives you a lot more context now as a staffer on how it works from like the lobbying perspective, too. Right, exactly. You know, it did take me quite a while to get my job on the Hill. Um, You know, I was going to coffees with everybody. I do think in the interview process, it might have been interesting for folks who were interviewing me to realize that. So I had also interned on the Hill, but I didn't have full-time Hill experience. I wasn't a staff assistant or a legislative correspondent, um, which is, you know, the natural progression of, you know, the upward momentum on the Hill. So, yeah, I did come from downtown, and I do think that it does give me a unique perspective. You know, tons of 
folks who maybe started out first job on the Hill as a staff assistant might not know how, you know, stakeholders operate, you know, where some interests may lie. So sort of having that perspective and viewing policy sort of with that in the back of your mind is very helpful. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And so many times people get kind of stuck in this tunnel vision of like how it's supposed to be when you come to DC and like how you get a job and, and where you start and all that. And I think it's refreshing to see it kind of not be in the traditional sense because it's so often people get kind of cornered and then, you know, they feel like they're trapped. So before joining the committee staff, you had already kind of mentioned you worked in the personal office for Congresswoman Kathleen Morse Rogers. She's been a great champion for radiology, particularly when it comes to mammography screening at 40 and up. Uh, she has been a, a huge champion for us in that regard. But can you talk a little bit about the difference now that you're on the committee staff for Energy and Commerce, which she chairs? How, what's the difference kind of between the personal office and the committee staff operation, just how it works, the flow, uh, kind of all those things? Yeah, of course. So they're both awesome opportunities. They're very unique in their own ways. So, you know, in the personal office, your primary job as a policy staff is to think about how certain policies will impact your boss's district. Then sort of secondary from that is how it will impact the state as a whole. And then, you know, your party's conference. And then on a national level, your day-to-day is much more constituent facing, whether you're going through mail or answering phones, you're constantly interfacing with constituents on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, sometimes you're helping with casework and, you know, just tracking down various constituent inquiries. On committee, the district is still, you know, the primary focus, but we also have, you know, more than 20 members. So we have to think about how various policies will impact all of our members' constituencies. You know, it's very diverse background, many of whom come from very different districts. Um, Some are more moderate, some are in, you know, very deep red districts and states. So it's very interesting to find that balance. And then, you know, also on that is at the committee, you have the opportunity to dive deeper into policy. So, for example, I split the public health portfolio with my colleague. So I handle HRSA, SAMHSA, DEA, IHS and ARC. And when I started in the personal office, I had about seven broad issue areas, anywhere from healthcare to transportation to social security. So my focus now is much more narrow and you can really get into the weeds on these issues, which I I think is really fun. Yeah. And I think for a lot of folks who are not overly familiar, I mean, let's be honest, most folks aren't overly familiar with how the hill works, but it's always interesting when you look at the personal office, just the wide spectrum of issues you're dealing with and how you're trying to prioritize that and manage that. And it is limiting because you just can't, like you said, do a deep dive. I mean, if if your boss is into one particular issue in one particular space, and yes, you know, if they're trying to be active in introducing the bill or whatever it may be, but, you know, by and large, most staffers on the personal office are really just trying to survive because they got such a huge portfolio. Whereas like for you, it's really cool when, when we were talking about you transitioning into the committee staff, I could sense your excitement, like, hey, I'm a healthcare person at heart. I've had to kind of do these other issues because that was my job, but now I can really focus on healthcare. So I think that's really cool. And then obviously the the depth that which you have that you can really communicate with stakeholders like us because you've had the time to really focus is, is cool. So so you know, we have our Hill Day on May 10th. So it's coming up or just a little under a month away from that. We have a whole bunch of folks who are going to be coming who are new to the Congressional Hill 
process. They've never had a meeting in a congressional office before. They don't really know what to expect. Even times they're, they're almost a little intimidated by just everything around you know, the Hill. So having met with constituents and stakeholders from the personal office perspective, and probably even a little bit on the committee side too, what would you say are like the do's and don'ts? I mean, there's there's some obvious ones, but I mean, just in general, things that you see come up like, wow, that was a really good meeting because X, Y, and Z presented this in this way, or, oh, that was kind of a rough meeting because they kind of were, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, and, I, and they probably shouldn't have. They kind of maybe took away from what we were trying to accomplish in the meeting. It, I think that would be helpful for our, our people to hear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's always important to start the meeting off with giving as much information about, you know, whether it's a trade association or a company or, you know, an advocacy group, giving more information, the better. Never assume that staff, you know, has met you before. There's constant turnover in offices, constant issue areas, you know, being rejiggered around. So so I don't think you'd be insulting anyone's intelligence if you sort of, you know, just went through the basics of what your group does. And so if there's an ask, I think it's particularly important, you know, if it would cost taxpayer dollars or impose requirements on states or, you know, maybe providers, you're going to need data to back it up. You know, resources that congressional staff often use are the Government Accountability Office or GAO or the HHS Office of Inspector General. So, you know, if they have a report or did recent work on an issue that you're, you know, bringing to the staff, I think that would be helpful to, to flag that. And always bring it back to the district or the state of where the member's representing. They need to understand the impact on their district and state in order to make an informed decision of whether or not to support certain policies. So there's always, there's obviously, you know, an ideological considerations that need to be made too. But, you know, at the very least, circling it back to how it would impact the district, I think, would go a long way. And last but not least, I think this goes without saying, but, you know, just be cordial. Congressional staff speak with people who, you know, are very upset all the time. You know, maybe they have a grievance, a casework issue that they've, you know, lost a lot of money from the IRS or, you know, something like that. So, you know, constantly dealing with folks who are in in a bind. So just being nice and friendly does, you know, go a long way. Well, and I, and I think the other part of it, too, which our folks have to kind of understand is that, you know, we talked a little bit about this with the, the full wide spectrum of issues that a lot of the staffers deal with. But, you know, in a typical day, for our folks going to the Hill, they'll have maybe three appointments, right? They'll meet with the two Senate offices, they'll meet with their House member, and then that's pretty much most of their day on the Hill. Maybe they'll go to a, a you know, one secondary House office that's like where their office, their work office goes into that congressional district, or if it's an important member of Congress, maybe they'll, they'll overlap into that one. But from a staffing perspective, I mean, how many, when you're back in the personal office, I mean, you would have four or five meetings a day easily, I would think, right? Oh, yeah. Sometimes during, you know, what we call fly-in season, the spring is often when groups come in, you know, from various places all around the country. Sometimes, you know, staff could have up to nine to 10 meetings a day in the really busy season. But yeah, I think at the very least four to five staff meetings. And then, you know, we obviously staff our boss. If, you know, she's taking a meeting that's within our issue areas, then to think about that as well. And, you know, obviously the meetings with the boss take precedent. So be patient because oftentimes, you know, staff might have to last minute change a meeting or, you know, you might meet with a different staff member who will then pass the information along to, you know, the health LA if that's whoever you're meeting with. Yeah, I think the patience is huge because I think, you know, it's hard to kind of keep the perspective that you guys are running around with all these meetings all day. And by the way, 
you have other stuff to do besides just these meetings and the meetings kind of take away from the time that you need to spend doing your work and whether that's advising your your boss or whether that's researching something or working with the committee staff if you're in a personal office or you know again trying to get a bill pushed through or introduced or whatever it may be so i think understanding that you guys have a full busy day and going back to your point about just being cordial and nice and, and patient really goes a long way, I would think, with a lot of staffers. I think that's important for us to both say for our folks to listen to. So I, I, I think that's really, really good advice. It you know, now that we're back into having these meetings in person on the Hill, obviously there's a couple years where it was you know, no one's really going into the into the offices. The offices were you know, buildings were essentially closed, and you know most of the staff were working from home. Uh, you had a lot of members who weren't even in DC a lot of the time. But so we're, we're almost back to pre-COVID. But do you still see things that are different from the pre-COVID to now the kind of the post-COVID, or is it almost like back to how things used to be? Well, I'm thankful that we're you know at the very least getting much closer back to pre-COVID days than we were even last year. It's nice to have people back in the building, you know, in Longworth, Dunkin' Donuts or the Rayburn Cafeteria. You get to say hi to folks and you don't have to escort people into the building anymore, which is awesome. So I think that's, you know, a lot easier. I do think that there has, I think the increase in virtual meetings is here to stay. And I do do value in-person, but I think virtual meetings also allow constituents to access their members more easily. You know, maybe someone on the West Coast isn't, you know, readily available to get to D.C. You know, flights are expensive. They need to find somewhere to stay. So I do think that, you know, continuing Zoom and Teams options are helpful. But I am very glad that we are back to almost normal. And to your point of members being back in town, I think, you know, even when members are away, I think it's sort of makes it easier to not fight, but, you know, disagree and maybe say things that you wouldn't say to their faces. So I think having members back in town makes it a lot easier to get bipartisan work done as well. Yeah. And that's going to actually lead into a a great segue of the next question. But I do want to first say that I think the other thing that I know is super important, at least from my perspective, kind of on the stakeholder side, when it comes to dealing with people on the Hill is it's just the relationships, right? So you can have as many text messages, as many phone calls, as many Zooms as you want with staff and members, but nothing replaces being outside Capitol Hill Club and you run into a member of Congress randomly and you have that two or three minute interaction with them that's just kind of removed from official conversation, but it's just the the courtesy of a, of a friendship conversation that really goes a long way. And that, again, that could be with staff, that could be with the chief of staff, that could be, you know, even on the political side. And I think that just gets overlooked. And, and I think it was missing so much during the, the virtual part of the COVID. And I think it's great now to kind of see the interactions with people again in person, just kind of more, you know, randomly and organic on the Hill, because that's really so much, to me at least, that's where we get so much of kind of like our intel. You know, a lot of it is just, you know, conversational with people. And it's it's really good that we're back to that. So you had mentioned maybe potentially leading to a little bit more bipartisanship with people being back in town. And, and you know, I feel like you're very fortunate in a sense being with, with the congresswoman. I mean, the chair has been, you know, very bipartisan, in my opinion, on, on many issues. The committee itself, I think that Energy and Commerce Committee has a huge history 
and track record of being very bipartisan, whether it's cures or so many other things in the healthcare space where you really saw a lot of agreement on, on issues that were really big issues and that you don't see in a lot of other committees. And so I, I don't know just from your observations, like what you can kind of attribute to that, or is that something you continue to expect or hope to see moving forward? Obviously, uh, I would assume you would say yes, because your boss is chair of the committee and that's kind of the way she operates anyway, even when she was in leadership, which is a really hard thing to do to be in leadership of your party and then also be bipartisan. And she still was able to kind of balance that, I thought, very nicely. But just your thoughts on, on the committee as a whole, the Energy and Commerce Committee obviously has great jurisdiction over a lot of the healthcare issues and, and the track record of bipartisanship. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the committee leadership. I think they've had great leaders over the years who really value bipartisanship. And they understand that, especially in, you know, maybe divided government like we're currently in, it's really hard to get things done unless it's bipartisan. So, you know, of course, there's partisan bickering at times back and forth or, you know, initiatives that are important to one party versus the other. But I think at the end of the day, on our committee, particularly, both sides of the aisle are very interested in advancing solutions and making deals that will actually have an impact. And to your point, I definitely see it continuing with my boss's leadership and, you know, hopefully beyond. I do think given her, you know, past position as conference chair, I think people really look to her to, you know, sort of continue these relationships with folks across the aisle as well. So I think it's just really fun to, you know, continue to work together and, you know, advance solutions that will actually matter. And it's interesting, too. I think if you look at some of the districts that the chairs in the past on the committee have had, they're not districts that are like way skewed one. I mean, they may be a, a tad, right? Certainly. But I mean, your boss's district certainly is not like way, way, way far right or anything. I mean, this is this is a district that's kind of like a, a regular congressional district that's got a, a good mix and balance of a lot of different political ideologies. I think, isn't Washington State in the district, maybe, or it used to be? Yeah. Washington State University? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, she's got to handle kind of all different types of uh, stakeholders in the district, which obviously carries over into the way she's going to operate and carry herself here in D.C. And I think that's always been true. I think she's done a great job. Can you just kind of talk briefly about your specific portfolio? Don't have to get into great detail about it, but just kind of how the committee has so many different layers of who's handling what types of niche issues within the healthcare space. And then just looking a little bit more globally at the committee, what you kind of expect over maybe the next year. Obviously, in the 2024, it's going to be a little bit more complicated because you've got the presidential year and everything. I think a lot of stuff that's going to happen is probably going to be a little bit more on, on this side of, of the of the two-year session. But just kind of your, your specific role and then kind of more globally how this committee uh, is looking to work on some issues over the next uh, six months to a year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely hit the ground running in the first four months that I've been <laughs> as part of the committee staff. So you know, like I mentioned, I handle the HRSA portfolio. So we have a hearing with the administrator next week that was noticed this week. I handle SAMHSA, DEA, IHS, and ARC. And so, you know, obviously our members are very interested in combating the fentanyl crisis. You know, per, uh, permanently placing fentanyl-related substances into Schedule 1 is something that we've had a hearing on. We've marked up the HALT Fentanyl Act. So we've been very busy. You know, throughout the rest of the fiscal year, there are a ton of authorizations that are set to expire. So the public health extenders, which as you know, include the Community Health Center Fund, National Health Service Corps, Teaching Health Center GME program, 
special diabetes, special diabetes for Indians program. And then, you know, on the FDA side, we had the annual drug user fees, both the brands and generics need to be reauthorized this year. The Support Act is coming up for reauthorization as well. That might be a summer activity. As you know, this was a huge win for the committee in terms of combating opioids and substance use disorder. We have the Pandemic All Hazards Preparedness Act, or PAPA, that needs to be reauthorized. We need to figure out dish cuts. And then in terms of other priorities, you know, my boss and members on the committee have been really interested in price transparency. I think this will continue to be something that we focus on. And in terms of next year, I have not really had time to think about it, but I'm sure someone on our team has, hopefully. (laughs) But just just your list alone, you know, right now is like almost overwhelming. So it's like, man, I need to get this podcast to be over with so she can get back. She's got a lot on her plate, but no, not at all. Well, so do you have any kind of parting words, I guess, for our listeners as far as uh, whether it's the Hill Day specifically or whether it's just kind of like interaction with members and congressional staff in general throughout the course of a year, or maybe maybe another good uh, potential thing to discuss would be, hey, you went to the Hill, you met with the congressional office, but then you just kind of go back to your normal you know, workflow when you're at home and you kind of don't continue to be engaged with the congressional office because you're busy and, and you know, kind of how you continue to maintain that relationship or that, that dialogue with the congressional office so it's not just a one and done. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that. Yeah, well, I mean, have fun. Being at the Capitol is a unique experience that not everyone gets to do. So, you know, just have fun while you're here. But to your point, I think it's important to continue to, you know, make those touch points with staff in certain offices, you know, key leaders on issues that you all are advocating for, you know, your your hometown member as well. You know, I think it's important for them to to hear from you consistently enough. You know, I think when items are popping up that are important to you all, I think it's really important to let them know that you care because if they're not hearing from folks, then they're not going to think anyone cares about it. So it's not going to get done. So, you know, on a relatively regular basis, when, when things pop up, I think it's important to at least, you know, just send a note saying, you know, I saw this bill that XYZ introduced. Here are our thoughts. Appreciate you taking it into consideration. Um, you know, hope to, hope to talk to you again soon and, you know, just continue that relationship. I think it would be really important for you all. Yeah, and I'm a big balance guy. It's really, really hard to achieve. You know, there's always a temptation of like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the Hill. I'm going to meet with the staffer. And then hopefully the congressional member, you do, you leave. Again, you go back home, you get busy, kind of get sidetracked, distracted. Maybe there's not a lot of action on your issue, so you don't have a real reason to be, you know, engaged still with that congressional office at, at a month or two or three month period of time. But, you know, you don't want to blow them up all the time either. You know, you got to have some respect for the fact that, you know, again, you're you're talking about your days in the personal office and then now your day at the committee staff level, just how much you have going on. You know, at least from from the D.C. stakeholder perspective, we try to be very mindful of that and respectful of that. So we're, I'm not hitting you up every week, Chris, and like, hey, Chris, what do you think? What do you think? I, I try to kind of give you the distance and the time. But. I do think it's also important, like you're saying, to kind of touch base every now and then, even if nothing's hot, just to say, hey, just want to check in, you know, let you know we're here. We haven't forgotten about you, you know, because I would think on your side, and I worked on the Hill a long, long, long time ago, but, you know, like they had the mail bins and we had faxes and we thought that was super technology and that's a little different now. But, But I just remember, like, you would never hear from someone 
unless it was either they were on the hill for an appointment or it was, you know, 11th hour of an issue getting hot, you know? And then you're kind of like, okay, well, like it's, I get it, but you're also like, how about we have a relationship between them too? And again, it doesn't have to be a ton, but just a little bit to kind of continue to, to have that relationship. Because I think as you would say, and I would, I certainly feel this way, the relationships are so important. You know, the, the trust factor, you know, knowing that someone that, you can really count on if you need them to, to help provide some CYA back home in the district or on a particular issue or some resources. Like you said, talking about your Hill meetings, you know, hey, do, take, can you give us some data? Hey, take, can you give us some anecdotal, you know, stories about what you're seeing in the district firsthand from your radiologist, kind of like on the front line with, with what they're dealing with. Do you have an example that I can tell the boss that would be really maybe impactful and kind of get her stay engaged on the issue or whatever it may be. So I think that balance is really important. It's hard to find it and it's different for everyone, but I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to that point, you know, I always ask people for thoughts, ideas on, you know, maybe a bill that's coming to the floor and, you know, you need to know what your radiologists think about it or what the cardiologists think about it, you know, so then, cause you never want to hear from them on the back end, you'd rather say, you know, what do you, what do you think about this on the front end? Right. Use that information, give it to your boss. Your boss makes a decision on whether to, you know, vote for it, vote against it, whatever it is. And then you sort of go from there. But to your point, I think, you know, always using stakeholders as a resource has been really helpful for me. Yeah. If you, if you only hear it on the back end, it's probably not going to be good. (laughs) It's probably going to be pretty like, what the heck's going on? Yeah. But I I do think, you know, and, and your point's also a very good point. You know, we have been very fortunate to have had a lot of relationships on both sides of the aisle in both chambers where they will reach out to us. In fact, it, it just happened this week. Hey, uh, this was from a congressional office. Hey, where are you guys on X? And, and there's nothing that feels better for us than that because one, it shows that they, they value our input that they're taking the time to take the initiative to reach out to us because they not only value our input, but they feel like our input has some weight. Now, obviously, it won't be the only thing that they weigh in their decision-making process, but they're at least doing it on the front end, like you said, so they kind of don't get the wrath on the back end. And, and quite honestly, I feel like it's important for us to do that with members as well. I mean, there's been several times that I'm not going to list specific members of Congress, even though they're not there anymore, but having done this a long time, there's been times where I felt like I was, you know, kind of teased for being a bad lobbyist, according to this member of Congress, because this member of Congress was like, hey, I want to co-sponsor your bill. And I was like, don't you dare. It's not going to pass. It's an important bill to us. But I said, it's not going to pass right now in its original form. And I said, it's a little bit controversial for what you have going on in your district. Let's work on a different issue together. And the member of is like, you're an idiot. Why are you telling me not to do it? But in, in hindsight, after the fact, he said, you know, I appreciate the fact that you're up front with me on that. And he was willing to work with us on issues that were equally as important to us. So I think that relationship, again, goes both ways, that we have to be really honest brokers with each other and can't just only you know, ask for what we want, but understand that there's a different dynamic for that member of Congress and that congressional office and what they're going through. If it's a a tough primary election or a tough general election or whatever else they have going on, different stakeholder groups have different presence in different districts that are more vocal or more visible than others. So 
anyway, it's an interesting thing. It's stuff that you and I could probably talk about for hours, but I don't want to bore our listeners on it because we kind of start to geek out on it. So we're going to finish this podcast now. Again, I want to be respectful of your time, and I really appreciate all your contributions to today's podcast. We always finish with what we call lightning round, where I'll kind of buzz through a couple topics, and you just kind of give me your first instinct in a couple words of you know where you are on that particular topic. So favorite food. Oh, I am a pizza snob because I'm from New Jersey. So New Jersey pizza, my favorite food. Good. Love it. And it is different than here. (laughs) Uh, Favorite place to travel? The beach. I grew up at the beach. I grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey. So I'll go anywhere where there's a beach. Not the shore? No. I, (laughs) you Philly people, you Philly people say the shore. (laughs) I know. I know. It's such a thing. Favorite hobby activity? Anything with my dog. My fiance and I really enjoy, you know, just going on hikes or walks with our dog. And we're getting into running. We ran a half marathon last year and a 10K this year. So working Uh, on it. That kind of thing of running is like tattoos. Once you start, you can't stop. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's great. There's worse things to be into, right? Favorite saying or quote. Now, this can be like a, a... very famous one or one that's you know super recognizable and used all the time or it could be like just something you you know your parents said to you or something you kind of made up on your own favorite quote or saying that you like to use or think about i think the biggest saying which is used very very often i have no idea who said it first but hard work pays off i do personally think it's more important to be the hardest working person in the room instead of the smartest person in the room I think that goes a long way with folks. So I can't help but to say something on this one. So I'll never forget this. My dad used to help me with homework every night as a kid. I was not a great student. I was just as average as a kid. And one night he was helping with homework and he looked at me. He said, there's some people who are really smart and other people just have to work really hard. And he said, so you just keep working hard, Ted. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. Fortunately, my kids are smart, so I, you know, I don't have to pass that down. But man, I, when he told me that, I was like, oh boy, this is a, this is a wake-up call. <laughs> but hey, Kristen, I appreciate you so much. Personally, I, I appreciate you professionally, all you do to help folks like us have you know positive impact on the people that you know we're trying to help, whether it be our member radiologists, whether it be the patients our member radiologists are treating all the time every day, that to have the the friendship and relationship that we've had over the years to be able to work with each other and and uh, be honest brokers with each other it's, is something that we do not take for granted. So thank you. And I, again, thank you for joining us. I think this is really helpful as we get ready to have our Hill Day. Our listeners can go through this and, and listen to this podcast and, and get a, a bunch of nuggets out of it that I think is going to make for a better experience for them uh, when they're on the Hill on, on May 10th. So thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you guys have a great Hill Day. And I hope you stop by and say hi. Take care. Have a good one.